We're going to jump back into our series, The Dysfunctional Lovable Church, That's Us. First uh, Corinthians, we're walking through, and uh, I love going through a, a book of the Bible, a series like this, because it gives you an opportunity at home to really dig deeper into this text, to read First Corinthians uh, and during your devotional time, go through it real slow, go through it real prayerfully, and, and try to notice the themes that God has uh, for you. So, I may have, um, two weeks ago, drank from a baby bottle, and I may have smeared uh, baby food all over my face as I, as I preached on 1 Corinthians 3. And uh, the reason I did that uh, is because in that chapter, Paul's writing to the church, and he's telling them that they're acting like infants. So they're supposed to be acting like adults, and they're acting like infants, and he, he flushes it out. He says, you're acting worldly. You look like the world, and you should be looking like Jesus. And he lays out some of the specific ways uh, that they're doing that. Uh, one thing that's been a theme up to this point in the book is there's these worldly metrics. When I say metrics, I, I'm talking about the measurables, the things we say matter. This would be a good... Um, a good kind of reflective question. What do you think matters? Write that down. You know, what, what matters in life? What are the things that matter? And the, the, church, the church was buying into the things they thought mattered. And we do that today. The, what matters is power. What matters is, is numbers. What matters is, is winning. And you see Christians doing that today in the, in the political sphere. They're not acting like Jesus. They're focusing on things that they think matter. Let's go out and conquer. Christians have been notorious for conquering throughout Christian history in the name of Jesus. They're focusing on the wrong metrics, and Paul's telling the church of Corinth, stop focusing on worldly metrics, focus on the metrics of Jesus. And what's crazy is he calls the metrics, Paul himself, the Bible itself, calls the metrics of Jesus foolish. They're foolish metrics, and they're weak metrics. So that's kind of what this section has been about up until this point. The first, now the first four chapters of the book. Chapter three, Paul was frustrated at the church because he's describing the church as uh, uh, being a co-workers in Christ. And so I talked about the difference between a co-op. If you're uh, familiar with a co-op, it's where all employees own the company. And so everybody's working together and everybody's profiting equally. And that's very different than I think what the American church has turned into, which is like a restaurant where the staff and some key volunteers are like the workers at the restaurant. And we work and we wear our aprons and we, we make sure everything's perfect and the food is perfect and the service is perfect and the tables are perfectly polished because we really want a five-star review on Yelp. And if anything were to go wrong, like uh, you know, the click track is, is being obnoxious during worship and you would whisper to the person next to you, I can't believe this Mosaic Church. You know, we're gonna write this bad review about them. Their service is down. You know, look at this food, look at this, this. Right? This is how we view church. And we do that. We go to church and then we kind of criticize it and critique it as if a church is meant for customers to come in and buy Jesus. Well, especially if you're tithing, you know, then you really can be critical because you're the one paying for the meal and, and, and uh, you know, sitting there kind of being entertained. And Paul's saying that's not the way church is supposed to work. It's supposed to be a co-op. It's supposed to be everybody's ministering. We're a priesthood of all believers. And he says, when it doesn't work that way, this is what it looks like. It looks like a bunch of adults who are acting like infants, and that's not the way it's supposed to work. 
infants are supposed to act like infants. So if you're a new Christian, if you're new to church, uh, you should act like an infant. That is okay. You're coming in, you're checking this out. Is this safe? You know, you're, you're, you're taking it very, very slow. Uh, but there is a point in your maturity as a Christian where you are to move forward. So I like that song, Moving Forward, because Paul's challenging the church, hey, there comes a point when you're not an infant anymore. And that's been the theme of these first uh, four chapters. So chapter four, we're going to look at today. It is the final chapter in this theme of the divisions in the church and these metrics of, of weakness that Paul wants to see the church operating in rather than metrics of boasting. They keep boasting and boasting and boasting. And we're going to talk, we're going to see that again today uh, in chapter four. You got to love these clickers. They work until they don't work. I, I need a, I need a click over there. All right, there we go. All right, so this is uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. We're going to come after our next set of discussion questions. We're going to come back into the, into the text and walk through it. Uh, but let's look at this verse f- uh, first as sort of a key verse for this past, this section. Uh, verse 7, it says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? So you see we're back to the idea of boasting again. This church has a problem with boasting, 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 boasting. There's a couple things you're going to see in this passage. Uh, in the first question, it, uh, the, the first question that it asks, it's, it's saying we all share something in common. This thing that we share in common is, so what makes you different from anyone else? There's something that's the same about everybody in this room, and that's the same about everybody on this planet. And Paul's making the argument that the thing that is the same is that everything that's been given to you was given to you by God. So everything given to you is given to you by God. The context of this, if you look at the verses before it and after it, which we're going to get to, they're talking about money. So the next couple of verses are about, you know, being rich and things like that. Uh, it also talk, is talking about abilities and status. So these arguments within the church, these comparisons, these divisions had to do with abilities and status. And Paul's saying, look, what makes you different from everyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? He's making the argument that you received everything you have from God. Everything you have, you received it from God. And then he says, and if you did not, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? And so the point he's making is, if God gave us everything we have, we need to act like God gave us everything that we have. Not boast about it. If we believe everything we have is ours, that changes, that's a game changer, isn't it? We're going to treat our stuff differently. We're going to begin to boast. We're going to do the comparison game because we think it's ours. And that's what he's saying here. If you did receive it from God, why do you boast about it as though you did not? So we have a little illustration this morning to help us understand this. There is no baby food involved. Praise the Lord. But I do need some volunteers. I, I don't have my wireless mic and so I'm just going gonna, gonna to walk around. We're going to be off mic here for a second. All right. Okay, these are my children's stuffed animals. They're not mine. For the sake of our illustration, um, watch the cords here. This is treacherous. Um, uh, for, the, for the sake of our illustration, these are, all, these are all God's stuffed animals. So God gave you guys these stuffed animals. They're not yours. Do you guys understand? These are not your stuffed animals, because I'd get in trouble for my kids if you did anything to them. These are God's, Victoria. God gave you that stuffed animal, and he has a mission for you. 
The reason he gave them to you is because he wants you to encourage the world with them. There's children out there that are, that are sad and lonely, maybe in a hospital, that need a stuffed animal. They need some encouragement. And that is the reason that you've been given what you've been, what you've been given. Okay? You think you can handle that? All right. Okay. This is what? You got to talk into the mic. I have to talk into the mic? Yeah. Because mine's the best. You guys figured that out, didn't you? I mean, clearly, mine is the best. It's the biggest. I would actually say mine's the cutest because, I mean, it's small. It's got the beautiful eyes. It's way better than yours. Yours is dirty. Yours is dirty. Talking to the mic. Mine is a little dirty. Yeah, yours um, is dirty. It's got a few stains on it, but, um, you know, uh, I don't really like penguins, but it's okay. I like it. It's, it's okay. Mine's better than yours. No, and that thing is ugly. I, I would say. scary. That thing's hideous. I would say the horse is ugly. It didn't even look like you combed your hair this morning. Mine is nice and well groomed, much better looking than yours, and I would never, ever come close to getting on that thing. It's disgusting. Not as cute as mine. Yeah, yeah, Joel. Not Joel, that is not cute. That is scary. That is like, it's not even like realistic. That's like asking our children to think like, like, I don't know what that is. That thing's weird. Wait, what is hers? What is that? Oh, yes. Yeah, who wants to go around with a rattle? And speaking of your horse, by the way, what horse has like, Black hooves, the white, the brown. I mean, that's just, it's just, no, uh-uh. This one's You're much better. You're talking about better. the colors of my horse? Yes, my ugly, My horse ugly. will inspire the world with its, its black, brown, and white colors. Yeah, but do you have orange? No. Not very good. Are we We're going to encourage the world most with my horse. Uh, Maya, you want to switch? You don't like yours? You this one, right? <laughs> See? I told you. Best one. You guys are a very dysfunctional group when it comes to stewarding uh, the stuffed animals that God has given you. Can you guys give our volunteers a hand, please? <laughs> please put your stuffed animal back in the bag, and please do not trip and die on the cords up here. All right, very good. Thank you all. I love that. Uh, so we're going to have some discussion questions next. We're going to break you back up into your groups. The first question is, uh, oh, it says no and Joel because I, I wrote that last night and then Brian was here and I was like, Brian will do a great job at this. So pretend like that says Brian. What was wrong with how Brian and Joel acted regarding their stuffed animal and why? And I like that Amaya got involved as well. Um, Brian and Joel were plants, in case you didn't know that. It's an old trick of the trade. Um, Amaya was not a plant, but I like how you got in there and, and they were like, what I was given isn't as good as theirs. Like, it's legitimately dirty. The one Brian got... Is, was brand new. Like, we just got that at some camp that, that Brooklyn went to. And Amaya's like, mine's not as good, you know? Well, God gave that to you, okay? And you're like, I don't like what you gave me, God. So you can for sure add, that was great. That's a great illustration to add in there. So what was wrong with how some of our microphone users uh, acted regarding the stuffed animal that they were given by God, not theirs, but God's, to encourage the world with, and then why is it so hard? This is, a, a, this is a, a big question for just breakout time. So just, you know, it is what it is. Skip it. If you, if you don't want to talk, just listen. Uh, but be honest. I think there's some on, It's great to be honest. None of us are, have arrived at this. It'll be a challenge our whole lives. Just be realistic about it. Why is it so hard to see our time, our talents, 
and our treasure as gifts of God's. They're not actually ours. Like, I don't own my time, talents, and treasure. God does. Uh, To use for him, uh, instead of seeing them as things that we've earned, that are exclusively ours. Okay? So five minutes on that, and then we'll jump back into 1 Corinthians 4. Verses 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians 4. Um, this is, uh, I grabbed these out of the ESV. I normally have the NIV up here, but I just, the word steward uh, was a word I'm more familiar with uh, in the interpretation of. I think it's a le- little easier to understand. But uh, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And so in the first century, it would have been very common that you'd have these great landowners. Uh, very, you know, few people would have owned their own land. O- land would have been owned, large scales of land would have been owned by, uh, by royalty, uh, things like this. But they would have stewards, or a king would have a steward over a realm that he had because he, be he couldn't be everywhere at one time. So if you were a steward of a realm or the steward of an estate, it was very clear that that estate was not yours. It was the king's or it was the barons or the landowners or whoever it may be. And uh, scripture here is making it very clear that we are servants of Christ and we are stewards of the mysteries of God. So, so God, is, has, God owns everything, which, which is what the verse we just talked about um, or we just looked at talks about. God owns everything and he's given us the responsibility to take care of it for him. Now, this is a huge paradigm shift from going from I own everything that I own to God owns everything, and he's given me the responsibility of taking care of it for him. So verses 3 and 4 say this, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. So when we see our stuff as ours, when when I look at what God has given me and I say, this is mine, what happens? You saw it up here and it was unscripted. There's a comparison game that happens immediately, isn't there? Okay, the scripted part was scripted, but you know, that it, it, uh, as soon as you, you give everybody a different stuffed animal, you start going, well, some, half the group's going, I have the best stuffed animal here. Mine's newest. It's bigger. It's better. It's shinier. It's cuter. And the other half's looking at theirs going, mine's dirty. <laughs> like, I think a kid puked on this one, you know? <laughs> like, right? There's immediately, because we put our identity in our stuff. Okay, let me say that again. We put our identity and our stuff. That's capitalism. That's, that's our culture. Our culture is a, the most individualistic culture of all time. You can Google it, okay? They chronicle individualistic cultures versus communal cultures called collectivist cultures. America today is the most individualistic culture of all time, and pr- predominantly white America. It's a European thing. If you, if you look at the global world, the European countries are very, very individualistic, and the Latin American countries, the African countries, 
uh, and as well as maybe not, I'm not exactly sure, I don't quite remember, but I know at the top of the list of collectivist cultures are African cultures and Latin American cultures. And I know Asian American cultures are more on the collectivist side than the individualistic side. So the point of this is that when we think our stuff is ours, instead of God's, instead of being stewards of stuff, I'm the owner of stuff. Really, you have to make that decision. Am I the owner of my stuff or am I a steward of my stuff? That, that's a decision you have to make. Victoria talked about truth earlier. God's truth is that you are a steward of your stuff. Really, the decision is, are you going to act like you are a steward of your stuff, or are you going to act like you're an owner of your stuff? Imagine God, the owner of all the stuff. It's his stuff. It's his estate. And he's like, I, I made you a steward. And you're like, it's my stuff, God. No, it's not yours. Right? This is what's happening in the church. This is what, ha this is what happens in America all, uh, all the time. When we compare... When we think our stuff's ours, we compare. And then what's it a breeding ground for? Nothing good. Envy, jealousy, insecurity, right? Well, if my identity's in this cat, this cat isn't very good. So I'm not very good. But that person's horse is really good. So therefore, I'm insecure about my status. I'm insecure about my importance. I'm insecure about my, my sense of value. And so therefore, I better do everything I can to go out and get a horse like that to improve my status, and we go to the ends of the earth, don't we? To try to validate ourselves, to improve our status, to make ourselves feel valuable, accepted, loved. Uh, incredible discontentment. Living with discontentment is like being on a treadmill that never ends. It just, it's miserable. It's miserable to, to be discontent versus being content with what we have. Uh, it produces depression and anxiety from those things. I'm not saying that all depression and anxiety is from those things, but they, they, they measure depression and anxiety uh, today versus other cultures, uh, other periods of history. You think about it, you have the magazine covers in the checkout aisle, uh, you have movies, you have now social media, just constantly pumping the best of the best of the best in front of you. It's not even real best, it's fake best. I was just reading an article about Hollywood actresses speaking out about how fake the photos of them are. So they'll, they'll take photos of just ads for their TV show and they'll say, am I not just pretty enough on my own that you have to make me fake? You have to Photoshop me, my body, you have to trim me down, you have to get rid of all of my blemishes. What kind of message are we sending to young people and to other people? We're sending a message that we can't compete with fake computer fabricated you know, beauty. Uh, and, and, it, and maybe beauty's not your thing, but there's other, there, there, we, we look at people and we say, they've got it all together and I don't, therefore, there's this huge, huge thing lacking. So I love this passage from Paul because he starts it out and he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I want that to be true of me. I love that he cares very little. I have days when I care a lot. <laughs> I have days when I care a lot about human courts. Don't you? Right? I mean, it's like I never left middle school. It's like I'm going... Yeah, my parents buy me the generic brand shoes, and you got the Air Jordans, and so, you know, therefore, you're up here, and I'm down here. And we just take that into our adult lives versus our identity being grounded in Jesus. Paul doesn't really unpack it the whole way here, but we know from, from uh, the rest of the text of the New Testament, and he hints at it here. He says, I don't judge myself. My conscience is clear. Uh, I'm not innocent, but it's the Lord who judges me. And the next verse, verse 5, he talks about God actually giving us a, a reward for the good things that we do. But we know that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus, that he is our judge. 
He is the, he is the, the, the sense of validation that matters. I've used the metaphor before of the monopoly money idea that when you play monopoly, the reason those little pieces of paper have any value at all is because around your little table, you've made the decision that little red hotels and little green houses are status symbols. <laughs> they are power symbols, aren't they? And that a, a, a light blue square that says 500 on it, that matters. That means something. Because within the authority of that game, that's what matters. And so you're jockeying for position to get what matters. But you can't go down to Meyer with your Monopoly 500 bucks and buy your groceries. They'll turn you away. They might even send you to jail because that authority doesn't work there. And Paul's figured this out. I mean, well, I'm, we're all on the journey of figuring it out. He's figuring it out. He's saying the world's metrics is Monopoly money. God is the owner of the estate. And, and, and God's values, his priorities, his authority, the things he say matters, that's real life. That's what matters. That's the store where you buy your food from. That actually matters. All this other stuff, the Hollywood stuff, the, the po- even the political stuff, the social media stuff, the stuff we jockey for position over, arguing over whose stuffed animal is better than another, it's all monopoly money. It's a fabricated system made up by people. And he says, I care very little about that human court. I don't care because God is the one whose say actually matters. This is life-changing stuff. This is huge. So uh, we, we go to verse 7 that we already looked at for who makes you different from anyone else. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Everything we have has been given to us by God. Remember, he started out verses 1 and 2, you are stewards. You're stewards of the stuff that you've been given. Everything is God's. And he tasks you and me to take care of it for him, for his purposes and glory. You know what other thing about that analogy or the metaphor we did? Do you guys remember what the mission and task was for the stuffed animal um, stewards? It was easy to forget, right? Go to the hospital. Help kids. And immediately, as soon as I stepped away, it was about whose stuffed animal was better. The mission was forgotten. Because instead of doing the mission, it was about this thing that I have, and it's mine, and it's different than yours. Paul's saying, don't forget the mission, the mission and the purpose of the stuff that you've been given. We are on mission. It's for God's purposes. It's for his glory, not for our purposes, not for our glory. So a question, just a reflective question. We're not going to have you talk about these in groups or anything like that, but this is deep stuff. I want you to ask yourself the question, how are you stewarding the time God has given you? And we're going to look just briefly at time, talents, treasure. They all start with T's. It's like a Baptist preacher's dream, you know what I'm saying? Um, I didn't come up with those. Some Baptist preacher did, I think. But it does a nice job of summarizing. It's not just about your money. That's the point. Everything you've been given is a gift from God. And that's another thing about contentment. Can you see everything you've been given as a gift from God? When it's a gift, you're like, oh, thanks. I got a gift. If it's you earned it, if I asked all of you to, I don't know what, like help clean up, and then I said, here's a brand new shiny horse for Brian, and here's a dirty little penguin for Amaya, <laughs> right? He'd be like, wait a second. We, just, we did the same job. Like I cleaned just like he did. What's wrong with me? Why don't you like me, right? When, when we think we've earned what we have, it's really easy to get bitter, isn't it? 
When we earn what we have, it's really hard to be content with it. But when it's a gift, when we're just being given gifts, and yeah, they're different and whatever. I'm not going to, you know, get it all. But when everything we've been given is a gift, we're like, wow, thank you. Wow. Thank you for giving me a gift. A gift. It's just a very different mindset in life. So did you know there's 86,400 seconds in a day? That makes me anxious just thinking about it. So I apologize for it. Like, oh no, I just wasted one. Oh no. Okay. 86,400 seconds in a day. But we are given 86,400 moments to steward. They're from God. They're gifts. They're gifts. What are we going to do with them? Here's some, here's some disturbing, here's some disturbing statistics. All right. An average user of social media, that's 4.7 billion people, by the way. So that's a lot. 4.7 billion people use social media. Um, the average user, all ages, adults included, uh, spends two hours and 31 minutes a day on social media. Not even all screen time, just on social media. Woo! So, again, back to the question. How are you stewarding the time God has given you? Teens spend eight hours, 39 minutes, on screens per day, per day. Now, you're awake for about 16 hours if you're getting a healthy eight hours of sleep. We'll just go with that. So that means that the average person, including adults, is spending 15% of their waking time on social media. That means the average teenager is spending half of their waking time on screens. And it'd be interesting about the school year versus summer, because in the school year, you're in school for about half the day. Does that mean the other half of the day you're just in front of a screen? On average, this is, I believe globally, this is these, I know the bottom stat is a global stat. I, these are global stats, actually, because the article I read was talking about different countries and how, how they compare. So when we talk about time, I want to say a couple things first. Um, yes, uh, keep your boundaries. I'm not saying you need to just do ministry with all, t- all the time you have. And that, the, the, and that ministry is... I don't know, something that has to be church-related, okay? Uh, I, I, I don't really have time to break it down for you, but I, I want you to know that rest is important. Boundaries are important, and if you're feeling burnt out, it is good to not do more, okay? Uh, keep, it's called self-care. You need to take care of yourself so that you can give to others. Uh, some helpful phrases, I didn't come up with these, but you can't give what you don't have, So you have to make sure that you're rested in the Lord and you're living into the love he has for you. And and God didn't, uh, you know, God says, um, I say this about myself sometimes when I'm talking to mentors and counselors, remind myself, God says, yes, we are to die to ourselves. That's part of the Christian walk. But he did not say that we are to kill ourselves doing ministry, right? I'm just going to put so much on my shoulders, God, because you you need me, right? I'm going to... I got it covered, God. You can take a break because I'm going to do it all, right? Not healthy. That's not what we're saying here to do with your time. Uh, but a mature Christian life, as Paul's talking about maturity, right? To, to, to mature Christians, been Christians long enough, should be leading. And we're still drinking from baby bottles and smearing baby food on their face. And, and, and it is important, especially in our culture, to say that a mature Christian life is not just attending church periodically. Like, oh, when I feel like it, I'm going to go to church. And then I guess I'll try, I guess I'll try to be nice. <laughs> like that's, Christi- that's what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, really ask yourself, um, what does it mean to follow Jesus in America in 2023? I, I think we would, if we were honest, that's, that's, that's how our culture would define it. Go to kind of church when I feel like it, and then I'll, I guess I'll try to be nice. 
This is what the infant versus mature thing was about. So the question, reflect on it. How are you stewarding the time that God has given you? Next question, just brief on this one. How are you stewarding the talent that God has given you? We all have different talents. We have different aptitudes. We have different things we're good at. And, and this might be one of the big ones where we go, this is mine. Like, I'm good at this thing. I'm good at whatever. My wife's good at singing. LaRonda's good at singing. I'm not good at singing. <laughs> but uh, there is an aptitude they have for singing. I could practice all I want. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, you know, Josh is good at basketball. I hate playing basketball against Josh because he's so good. I never get to score, and he scores all the time. It doesn't matter how hard I work at it. I'll never be as good as Josh. And those are more external things like basketball and music. But everything you're good at, you're good at. We're all good at different things, but, we, but God created your brain. God created the chemicals in your body. God created your body. He created the things that's, and you, most of the time we're like, make me better at this. We don't think about the talents we have. We think about the things we don't have, we, that other people have, that we may want. But look at the talents God has given you, the aptitudes he has given you, the things you love, the things you're passionate about, God gave you those as gifts. How are you stewarding the talent God has given you. It's a beautiful thing when you can get in that sweet spot that God gave me this talent and this ability, and maybe it's woodworking. Maybe it's making things out of leather. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's just using my brain. Maybe it's research. Whatever it may be, how am I using those talents that God has given me for his purposes and his kingdom and his glory, his, his reign instead of my reign, my rule and my reign and my kingdom, okay? All right, next question, last one. How are you stewarding the treasure God has given you? This is a hard one. I think in American culture, it's probably the hardest. Uh, we look at our money, and we say, I've earned my money. I've earned it. I've worked hard. And it's hard for us to understand that it's all God's. All money is God's. And, and you have earned your money, but God gave you the opportunity to, learn, to earn your money. And you were given your talents. You were given your talent to work hard. You worked hard to earn your money, but how did you get the ability to work hard? Still from God. And there, I, I think there's no greater biblical directive than this that American church has gotten wrong, and it's because of American capitalism. I'm not saying we need to get rid of capitalism. I'm just saying we need to be honest about what it's done to us, and what it's done is this is mine, 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 and I don't care what anybody says, and I earned it by my bootstraps, and you didn't earn it by your bootstraps, and so therefore, don't you dare come over, you know, to try to share this cat with me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We teach our kids to share, right? Isn't that like the classic as an adult? If you have, especially if you have more than one kid, share, 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 and then adults, it's like, I am not sharing. I earned it. It's mine. It's great. And then God's, and then God, our, our God, our Father, and we are his children, and what do you think God is saying? Share, share, share. It's not even your stuff anyway. It's mine. <laughs> okay. All right, back to our text. Verse 15. We're going to come back and summarize verses 8 through 13, but let's get to 15. Uh, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, this is a problem. Remember, they were acting like infants. They're acting like babies. And he's saying, you need, he's speaking of himself as a guy writing this, as a father. He's saying, you need fathers and mothers in your church. You can't have a church of all infants. What a nightmare that would be. A whole room of infants and no parents around. No fathers and mothers around. No adults around to take care of these kids. Now, 
I, I want to say to some of you, and this isn't for everybody, but God is calling some of you to take a step forward today or to reflect on this this week with him and to say, what does it look like to take a step forward to mature in your faith? I don't know who that is or, or who the group's out here, you know, like mo, there's more than one person in the room is what I'm saying, is, is that God is challenging you to take a step forward in your faith. He's saying the church, my church, both Mosaic and the church at large, needs more mothers and fathers. And, and maybe you've been in that teenage stage for a while. I'm not really an adult yet, but I'm not really a kid yet. I don't know. But some questions to challenge you with is, who are you discipling? If you looked at your life and you said, who am I discipling? Who am I teaching the ways of Jesus to? Ask yourself that. It's not shame. It's not guilt. We're just growing. I don't shame my children because they're not, you know, whatever, driving a car yet or something like that, right? I mean, there's growth and development to our lives as a Christian. But for some of you, God is asking you that question, saying, who are you mentoring? Who, and are you putting yourself in position to mentor people, or are you just with your peers all the time? Are you, are you always with people of your same socioeconomic status? Are you always with people that are just like you? Are you always with people that are, that are just, uh, you know, where you are? Or are you putting yourself around people that are hurting and suffering and oppressed and underserved and, and, and saying, all right, God, not that I'm God, but I want to steward what you've given me, and I want to, I want to take steps forward to being a mother and father in the church and not just a child in the church. And let me say this, you don't have to be perfect at it. I am not a perfect earthly father. I'm not. But I take my responsibility seriously, and I love my kids, and I am their father. What I don't do is act like one of my kids. Now, my wife might disagree with that. She might say, I have four children. One of them is Noah. But when it comes to cleaning, that could be true. That could be true. But I... I don't father my children like I'm one of them. Jen does not mother our children like she is one of them. I father my children like I am their father, and she mothers our children like she is their mother. It would be a nightmare if I was acting like an eight-year-old. I was one of my children and trying to father my children. And the same thing's happening in the church. That's the challenge and the push that Paul is giving to the church. So he ends the book by saying, the book, I'm sorry, the chapter concludes, one of the concluding verses is, therefore I urge you to imitate me. And this is a challenge. What a challenge that is. What a statement from Paul. Could you say this about yourself? I mean, I'm challenging myself with this. Could I say this about my Christian walk? Could I look at Mike and at Brian and at Joe and at Pam and say, therefore I urge you to imitate me? Would that be a good thing? And, and ask yourself that. Could you point to five people in this room and say to them, I want you to imitate my Christian walk, your Christian walk. That's challenging, isn't it? That's challenging. All right, so I'm going to quickly summarize, and we'll, we'll, we'll go through this pretty fast. Uh, verse 8, they're talking about being rich and reigning. And then verses 9 through 13, you can read it there. Paul's saying, actually, this is my life as an apostle. So when he says imitate me, he's talking about some pretty extreme differences of, of lifestyle between him and the church that was in Corinth. When he, when he says imitate verses 9 through 13, what he's trying to say to the church is, don't be so fixated on worldly measurements. It's not about riches and reigning. That's not what it's about. Don't be fixated on that. What does it look like to give and live sacrificially for the gospel? It's going to look different for everybody. That's what it looked like for Paul. 
What does it look like to give and live sacrificially for the gospel? Those are the questions. Time, talent, treasure. Paul says, imitate me. I want to end with one reflective question. And the reflective question that we're going to move into time of communion is, what if every Christian in the world lived like you did? What would the church look like? So think about that for a moment. What if every Christian in the world lived like you did? What would the church look like? What if every Christian in the world committed the sins you committed? Every Christian in the world, the sins you were committing were the ones they were committing. Every Christian in the world, the acts of obedience you were doing were the acts of obedience that they were doing. What would the the global church look like? What if every Christian in the world served like you did or didn't serve like you did? What if every Christian in the world gave like you did or didn't give like you don't give? What if every Christian in the world treated people like you treat people? These are sobering questions. What if every Christian in the world invested time in people like you did? What if every Christian in the world did or didn't befriend broken people? What if every Christian in the world did or didn't care about racial inequity and racial injustice? What would the world look like? What would the church look like? What kind of testimony would we be to who God is? So I just want to say the way you live matters. The way you live truly matters. And, and I believe this morning God is calling each of us into a life of purpose. And in that life of purpose, there is a deeper trust. There's a deeper trust that comes along with this to say, God, I'm going to leave comfort. I'm going to leave what I'm comfortable with. The ocean song, I'm going out onto the waters. We sing that like, yeah, I'm walking on the water. There's waves and a storm. Like, no, I'm good. I'm going to stay on the shore where it's comfortable and it's safe. God is calling us to a deeper trust in him that he will provide what we need as we take deeper steps of stewarding what he has given us. Let me pray for us. I'm going to invite Jen to come back up, and then we're going to lead into a time of communion and a prayer invitation. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for just a, just a wonderful community at Mosaic that we can come together on a holiday weekend and just see friends and have fun and joke and laugh. I thank you for this, this message from your word. It's challenging, God. Um, and, and I don't think it's for everybody today, but I do think it's for, it's for some that, you, that have been living as Christians in that infancy stage for too long and that you are calling um, you're, you're calling to move forward. You're calling into deeper trust of stewarding time, talents, and treasure. God, for you, for you and for your purposes. And so I just pray that your spirit would move, would move in us. I, I believe into greater lives of meaning and purpose. Um, the world is a beautiful place, and we're thankful for it. God, but help us not to worship the world that you made. Help us to worship you, the one who made it. And that we, we wouldn't serve the things you made, the gifts you've given us, these stuffed animals in our hand. We wouldn't worship them. We wouldn't serve them. God, we would worship you. We would be grateful for what you've given us. And, and we, would, we would orient our lives and purposes around you. So God, we love you. And as we come to the communion table now, um, we're reminded, Jesus, of who you are. 
we're reminded of your great love for us. We're reminded that, God, when you look at us, you do see perfection. You see sons and daughters. You see children. Um, and we're, we don't have to care about it, what any human court thinks of us because you love us and you call us into deeper lives of meaning and purpose and, and you invite us into that. So thank you, Jesus. We, we continue in worship now in gratitude. Amen.